Last night we talked uh, at one point a bit about like starting people on a sports team or the first chair in the band um, or the leading people in the theater and how they, uh, when we were talking about that passage where Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received, how the world functions that way a lot of the time, how the world tries to form us is you have to earn your spot of being worthy. Right. In order to be on the first team or the first chair or the leading role, you got to earn it and you've got to keep it. So you have to work really hard. But we talked about with Jesus, it's totally upside down from that, that it's not something the life and the love and the relationship we receive from him isn't something that we earn. And just to remind us of that again, Ephesians chapter two which we were in this passage, but didn't necessarily cover these verses. And these also are some of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 8, talks about why we have, have gained something um, from, from God that is so good and that we are to live uh, lives that are worthy of it. It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, And what? This is not from yourselves. The exact opposite of the world. The world says this has to come from your effort and your trying and you're working really hard and you you not screwing up or doing the wrong thing. But how we've been saved by Jesus doesn't come from us whatsoever. He goes on and says, it is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. Not by works, not by what you do, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What's one of the items that has come up in each lesson over and over again? Anybody know? Porter? Plato. Plato. I think Plato fits in this verse so well. Plato on its own can't do squat, right? Plato cannot work itself into form or into being. And here Paul is saying, it's not by works that anyone can boast, but because really your works don't mean anything apart from God. Just like Plato by itself doesn't, can't do anything. But that, that instead in verse 10, it says, we are God's workmanship, which means that we were created. The Bible actually talks about people like clay a couple different places. And, and that we were created to be God's workmanship, that he actually is the one that works in us and on us and through us, forming us, creating us to be who he's made us to be in Christ. Isn't that crazy to think about that you are God's workmanship? Some people, well, actually, Ben recently built a canoe all by himself, right? He built this, what was the outside of it made of? Cloth, Cloth, right? It's the lightest canoe I have ever seen. And he made it all himself. And how long did it take you? Six Six months to make this thing. Intensely trying to perfect it and make it just right in the way that he designed it to be so that it would do the thing that he wanted to do, which is not sink when he rides on it. And did it work? It did. God works on us our whole lives. 
using intense detail and effort and time and love and care and attention to create us into who he's made us to be in Christ. You are each God's workmanship. I get really caught up just trying to do good things sometimes because it makes me feel better about myself. When I do good things because I remember that I'm God's workmanship and that's what I was created to do, everything changes. Serving people, like we talked about last night, is easier because it's like, God, you created me to do this. And I know that you're going to have to be the one that gives me the strength or the ability or the courage or the love or the care in order to actually carry this out. This can't come from just me in, on my own and my own ability and what I have to offer. This has to come through you. And this is what you actually created me for. And the end of Ephesians, or the end of the passage we read there, um, wow, the wind turns me to Philippians. At the end there, uh, it said this, um, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So anything good that we do is God's workmanship. It's only because God has set it up for us to do it. So when we're worried about like, oh gosh, do I love this person or do I not? Or do I do this good thing or do I not? Is it the right time? Like ultimately we can trust that any good thing that we might do in this life is already because God has arranged it, right? Just like Ben arranged the scavenger hunt today. And then you guys just got to go through it and be led through it. That's what God does with us with good works. He leads us through it to get to the spot. And sometimes it's tricky and we're like, ooh, is the X over here or is it over there? Do we go in the sanctuary? The high school boys took one of the clues. It made sense that they did that, right? Or, and it's just kind of confusing on how, how we follow this thing. But ultimately, we, end up, we all end up at the same spot. And it's God guiding us through, leading us to the good things that he has for us as his people, as his church to do. Something I think that trips people up sometimes on living as God's people, being the church, is that we feel like we have to be perfect all the time. Does any, has anyone ever felt like they have to be perfect? Have you just felt that pressure, even for a, an instant before? I felt that, and I'm very imperfect. The crazy thing here, though, is what this passage is saying. Does, does it say anywhere that we have to be perfect? Does it say anywhere that we, we can't mess up or we can't make mistakes? No. It's the exact opposite. That God takes us as broken, imperfect people. And with broken, imperfect people, he still chooses to create good works for us to do in the future. And we're his workmanship. When Ben started with working on his canoe, he just had the materials. It didn't look like a canoe yet. It looks like cloth and some strips of wood and, and glue or whatever else went into it. That's not a canoe. But the more time and the more energy and effort that goes into it of God working in us, that's when we start to see the workmanship that we truly are in Christ. And so there's a part of that where, guys, you... I, I feel weird saying this in some ways just because sometimes it's taken the wrong way. But there is grace that you can have for yourselves in, in messing up and not being perfect because God has given you that grace. 
And when we do make mistakes, when we don't do things perfectly, when we don't serve people, when we don't put others before ourselves, when we are selfish, God doesn't go, oh, you screwed it all up, right? Oh, try again, start over, go, you, you didn't make the haichu into the mug, go to the next station, right? He doesn't do that. That's what I do. Um, he doesn't do that. But he says, that's okay. You know what the ultimate goal is here. Let's try again. Let's tweak things again and keep moving towards this thing. He's a God that is full of compassion and grace, abounding in steadfast love. He is a God who forgives when we recognize we've messed up. And that part's important to recognize that we are broken, that we are perfect. I don't know about you, but it's, it's hard for me to be around people that think they're perfect, that they never make mistakes, that they're always right. Oh my gosh, I had a friend like that in high school who always had to be right and just wanted to argue to be right. Those people are hard to be around, hard to have a relationship with them. God is really quick to forgive when we recognize when we've been wrong, when we've made mistakes, when we've sinned. And he's quick to give us grace to not say, no, you're, you're not a terrible person. You're not awful. You're my workmanship. You're a part of my church, a part of my body. You're my son. You're my daughter. Let's live that way. Let's move forward. Turn now in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. So you're going to the left. To the left now, y'all. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's talking a little bit more about this. Quick side note. Are those uh, note sheets helpful for you guys? Is that helpful to have during the lesson? Yeah? Nod? Thumbs up if yes? Maybe? Somewhere in there for some people? Okay, because I've been thinking about having those on Wednesday nights, too. We had it just for camp. But for some people, uh, taking notes is super helpful. Good to know. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. This is what it says. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this, is all, that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed. There is a ton there. But is there anything that special about a jar of clay? Right? What do you guys think? No? Yes? Maybe? No, it really isn't. Those are actually very easy to break. Right? They're, they're usually chipped or dinged or messed up. I did like pottery stuff in, in an art thing in middle school or in high school and everything I made broke, especially mugs. The handle always came off because it just isn't that strong of a material. It's not, it's not like steel or iron or, or gold or, you know, these things that are just strong and steadfast. And here the, the Bible is saying the life that we've received from Jesus, the treasure that we've received of him of relationship with God is stored in a jar of clay. Does anybody have an idea of what that jar of clay is? Yes, I see some people pointing. Us. We're that jar of clay. Imperfect. imperfect. Easy to chip. Easy for the handle to break off. Sometimes doesn't doesn't always look too good on the outside. Sometimes we try a really hard, uh, tried really hard to make it seem like everything's okay in our lives. 
But I think there's some freedom in recognizing if I'm a jar of clay and what actually matters is what Jesus has done in my heart, not even, not even all the stuff that people can see on the outside, because trying to control your jar of clay just not chipping or, or not being damaged or, or not being hurt or anything like that, that's, that's a lot of work. But if what you really treasure is what's inside and what God's done, and that changes how you view yourself on the outside too, that's the secret the Bible is saying here. The treasure doesn't lie, lie on the outside, the exterior, and what we can do. It, it lies within. And that God changes us from the inside out. One day in heaven, in eternity, we will no longer be jars of clay anymore. We won't have bodies that break or, or that mess up or even that sin. We will have new bodies, jars of steel, where I don't know what it is, right? I, I'm not sure, right? But, but something that can't be destroyed, can't be broken. And what's so cool in this passage too is it says that even though damage happens to this jar of clay, the damage happens to us. Things can be totally out of control, yet we still always have hope because of the treasure that's inside of us, the faith that we have in Christ, that we have relationship with our Creator, with the King over everything. Uh, yesterday we started to talk a little bit about the church being a body, a collection, either like an ocean is a body of water and there's all these drops of water that make up the ocean or, or, or a physical body too, tendons, ligaments, muscles, joints, all the stuff that I seem to hurt every time I play a sport and have to have surgery on, all those good things, but that we need every part to make up a body. So now go back to the left even further, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because this has a pretty cool breakdown of this analogy that the Bible uses for when Christians are gathered together. Chapter 12, starting at verse 12. And there's, there's a good amount going on here, but really try to track with the analogy that Paul is using for the church. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. Okay, I got that. That's what we're talking about. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. The Holy Spirit, God's presence in us, this treasure that we have, is what connects all believers together. Verse 14. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. No doubt, Paul. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, like Sauron, I'm guessing, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. With a couple people around you, I just want you to talk about briefly, what do you think Paul is saying here about the church being a body? Take a couple seconds, talk with a friend next to you or something like that, and we'll come back together in just a minute.
Alright, let's come back together and talk about this a little more. So, I mean, a couple of things I just could briefly hear through the masks and far away is talking about all parts of the body are important. All parts are needed. Has anyone here ever struggled with comparison? Comparing yourself to someone else? Wow, some of you have it. That is very impressive. Um, I struggle with comparison a lot. And here, uh, Paul's using the analogy of a body. This was a very, this is my workmanship. I am not like God. That is clear. Um, all parts of the body matter. And these parts of the body represent people. They represent us. They represent people who are Christians. And one of the things Paul talks about is like, hey, even though the thumb, trust me, that's a thumb, even though the thumb thinks that it doesn't belong to the body, that doesn't mean that it's not a part or doesn't think that it's important to the body. The thumb is very important to the body. Without a thumb, there'd be a lot of stuff that's a lot harder in life. Or without your big toe. Even without your pinky toe. If you, if you are missing any toe, it drastically changes how you walk. But also, I think he talks about like an ear and an eye. If, if the whole body were just one eye, you wouldn't have any other senses, right? All you could do was see. And seeing is important. But what about hearing and smelling and tasting and touching? All those things would be gone. Or an ear might be like, gosh, dang it, I really wish I were an eye. The eye has the coolest job the coolest responsibilities. But in so doing, the ear is missing out how important the ear's responsibility is. If you're having a hard time tracking, maybe this will help. Um, let me try to think of a good example. Okay, here's one, being real with you guys. Uh, I, I'll try to say this in a way that's not too self-deprecating. I'm not that smart. I'm not that smart. I can think like a normal human being. I have no college degree. I went to community college for a couple years. I'm one chemistry class away from having my AA. <laughs> I should probably go back to school. But school was never like that. It wasn't hard, hard for me. I just didn't really apply myself. And my wife is really smart. She's really smart. She has a college degree and she has a job that I could not do. That is for sure. Uh, ben is another person I know that is really smart. Some of you here, I know just you are really, really stinking smart. It would be easy for me to look at someone like Ben or someone like my wife and be like, gosh, I wish I was them. I wish I knew as much of the, as them. Why, why am I so stupid, God? Why, why, why didn't you make me smarter? I don't know if you've ever felt that before. Maybe it's with smarts. Maybe it's with athleticism. Maybe it's with... Um, here's another one for me. Uh, I have to work harder to try to stay in shape. My wife does not. <laughs> she will always be tiny. Uh, if I have ice cream every night, I will get pretty big pretty quick. If she has ice cream every night, she'll get smaller somehow, right? That is just not something I have going for me there. Now, does that mean, though, that I'm not smart and it's not easy for me to be in shape? that I don't have any qualities that do matter. No. Like there are specific qualities and traits that God has given me since I am just as much his workmanship as Ben, as Kat, as Julie, as Brandon, as Christian, as any of you here that he's given me to contribute 
that are different things. I spent so much of my life as a middle schooler and a high schooler comparing myself to other people and never feeling like I was good enough in certain things. And my guess is some of you struggle with that too. Or you work really hard to maintain trying to be the best at something because you're like, this is the thing I have to be good at. And if I'm not, I don't know who I am anymore. God has gifted us each differently. We're his workmanship to where all parts, when they come together, if this body didn't have ear, it currently doesn't have ears or eyes or, oh man, this body's in trouble. Um, but if it didn't have those things, it, it just wouldn't be able to function to its fullest extent. If we didn't have Landon, or if we didn't have Lydia, or if we didn't have Drew, or if we didn't have Jack, or any of you here, there would be a part that's missing from the body. The more people that are added to our group, and the gifts, not just added, but the gifts that they share, what they contribute, makes us a full body, a house worthy of the Lord. And for you guys, say there's somebody, we'll use like, We'll use Christian as an example. Say everyone in youth group was like, gosh, I just wish I was like Christian. If we had all Christians at youth group, no offense, Christian, you're one of my best friends, youth group wouldn't be very good, <laughs> right? And that's because having different people with different gifts, different experiences, different backgrounds, different workmanships of God makes this youth group what it is, diverse, and there's more skills, if we had Christian, we'd have a really smart youth group, all Christians. We'd have a youth group that, that's pretty organized. We'd also have a youth group that's diet consists mainly of Taco Bell. That would not be good for us. <laughs> right? It's good that we have differences with one another. That's important because then we have things to contribute to one another that others don't. In Colossians 1.8, you don't have to turn there. Uh, when talking about the body, the Paul, sa Paul says, he, talking about Jesus, the Christ, is the head of the body, the church. So he takes this analogy further, that it's like Jesus is the head up here, and then we're all the other parts. Why do you guys think that Jesus would be the head of the body? Any guess? Yeah, Caitlin, and then Jack. Yeah, he's like the leader. I love that. Jack. The head is kind of the control panel of the body or something. It's where the brain is and the brain makes everything go. Yeah. I love that that term control panel. It's like what's sending all the signals. Yeah, Nate. He's smart. He's smart. That is true, too. Jesus is the smartest person that ever walked the planet. I don't know if you guys knew that, but he is. He's the smartest person that ever walked the planet because he knew what actually mattered. <laughs> But he's like, just like our brain controls every other part. When I go to move my finger, that's because my brain is sending the signal to my finger to move. And then there's all the crazy stuff with vision and like it crossing over and stuff that, again, not very smart. Can't explain it. Talk to Ben or Nels um, or Christian. <laughs> right? But that, that Jesus is the center of it. Remember again that this is all through Christ that we're able to be a body that functions and lives into our different roles and our different parts. Okay, back to 1 Corinthians. Back to 1 Corinthians, verse 21 now. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. 
and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Can you imagine your body doing that? That'd be pretty funny. Um, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Does that sound like anything we've read recently? If one part suffers every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Sometimes in a body, in a group of people, and this is just from experience of being in groups of people for a long time now, specifically Christians, and me feeling some of these things. Here the example Paul gives is one part says that the ear says to the thumb, we don't need the thumb. Sometimes in groups of people, we think that if there was this person or this group of people that weren't there, this group would be better off. The Bible says that's not true. When you're in your classroom and there's that one kid that's really distracting and it's hard for you to get your work done, it'd just be easier if they were gone. The Bible says in a church community, that kid is just as valuable and important to that body as you are. It's a way different way of thinking. It's a way different way of living with people. The parts that seem like they're dispensable, like you don't need them. Who needs a belly button, right? God says, actually, those parts are super important because those parts are really unique. Those parts are way different. What if we saw each other that way? That people that maybe are hard for us or... Um, don't think like we do. We actually need those people in our lives because they expose maybe some of the things that we're weak in, that God wants to grow us in, to change us in, to help us to love all types of people, not just the people that are easy for us. It's easy for fingers to really get along. It's harder for fingers to understand a belly button, <laughs> right? Fingers and belly buttons don't have much in common except that they're a part of one body. That's what connects them. And th though they have differences, they have to work through those things to understand each other and not just understand, but to love one another. Our world right now is really divided in all sorts of ways. Divided over the pandemic, divided over systemic racism, divided over political parties, you name it, right? It's just divided. As Christians, how we're to live differently is even though we might have some different thoughts about these things or different things that we feel, we're to come together and to love one another despite our differences as fingers and toes and belly buttons. I never thought I'd say that in the lesson, <laughs> that sentence. But that's what God calls us to do. And because it's better. Do you see how sad the world is right now? how angry people are, how mean people are, how they treat each other, the damage that's being done in our world. If we lived like this, everything would be so different. Jesus' disciples were not perfect people. As we went through our series, Come and See, that we're finishing next, this coming Wednesday, we saw the disciples screw up over and over and over again. Jesus doesn't choose perfect people to follow him. 
He chooses the people that are weak, broken, jars of clay. And he makes them new. He changes them. He gives them new form. And what's awesome here is when we experience weaknesses, or, or we suffer, or, or we mess up, we sin, and we're broken, what, what Paul said to do here is that when one part suffers, the rest of the, part su- the, rest of the body suffers. When I tore my ACL in my knee, it, my knee didn't just hurt. The rest of me suffered. I, can't, I still can't do, like, when you guys did slip and slide kickball, I can't do that for, like, another five months. The rest of my body can't participate because my knee's not good. When someone here is struggling and suffering, we should be so connected that if Porter's really having a hard day and struggling, that affects us. It matters. Have you ever had that when a family member comes home and you can just tell they're off? It changes the whole mood of the whole house, right? Like if they come home and it just impacts you where you feel it too and you're like, oh. And God says for us to come together. When one's suffering, we should join in the suffering with them. Not where it's like, oh, what was me too? But like actually come alongside Porter. It's like, dude, I am so sorry. Today has been so hard. I'm here for you. I don't know if you just want me to listen, if you need me to pray for you. If you want to play a game to take your mind off it, I don't know what it is, but I want to come alongside you. But also, when one part is honored, so whether that's like for us at youth group, like someone wins a game, we're not mad because we lost. We cheer for the one who won. We celebrate with them. When, one, when another person is honored or, or celebrated, we just are the quickest ones to join in and celebrate. Christians should be the best people on the planet at celebrating. And far too often we're not. <laughs> we don't know how to celebrate rightly. That's a whole other sermon. But um, we should celebrate with one another. Even if it meant that someone else won, or someone else did something good, and we didn't. Or we weren't acknowledged for it. So, you guys have been pretty good at like staying tuned in here and contributing. I want to take it a step further. I need your help. I want some imaginations going. So... If the body represents the church, right, and that all parts are needed, all different skills, all different, like, like, um, uh, I've had it written down, all different attitudes or acts of service, what kinds of people does the church need? And then we'll figure out which body part it is. We'll, we'll just make it up. We'll have fun. All right? Does that make sense? What kinds of people does the church need to make it more well-rounded? Yes, Caitlin. Loving. Loving. So what, what should loving be? What body part is that? Chest. Nice. What else? What else, does the ch- what else do we need in the church? What do you guys think? Yeah, Jack. We need to, like, I guess, um, like, talk. Yeah. People that, like, do you mean everyone that can talk or people to talk to us? No, I guess just, like, spread the word. Yeah, people that can spread the word. What body part is that? The mouth. Clearly. Some people are really gifted at that, and we need to learn from those people, too. We need them to teach us. Yeah, Nate? People with trust. Trust. Where's trust at? Legs. Legs. We'll do, uh, is the right leg okay for trust? Yeah. Okay. We need people we can trust. Church should be a place where, where we can come in and trust people. Yeah, Sophia. Observant? Yeah, I think that's super good. 
Where should that go? Eyes. Ooh, I like what you did there. Watch my spelling. Eh? Close? A or E at the end? Preservant? A. Yeah, rock Caitlin. Boldness. Boldness? Where should that be? Also the right leg. Whoa, right leg's getting heavy. We'll say that's the ankle of the right leg, holding it up. Boldness. We need people that just naturally are bold. Man, I learn from people that are bold all the time. Andrew. Um, can we put pessimists with the appendix? <laughs> Where's the appendix? Over here somewhere? Yeah. Why do we need pessimists? It's the appendix. <laughs> <laughs> we remove it? <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> we need people with good humor in the church, too. Oh, that's awesome. Sam? People who serve. People who serve. Where should that be? The hand. Oh, I wondered if you'd do that. And why do we need people to serve, Sam? So that things can actually get done. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. If I tried to do everything for the church... We would be in so if I tried to do everything this week, if I tried to teach all the lessons, plan the scavenger hunt, do the water Olympics, also plan the carnival, and carry out all those things and be at all the stations all the time, you guys would not have had very much fun and I would have lost like ten pounds of just sweat right from my body. Things wouldn't be done. And we don't then get to enjoy all the good things. The more people contribute and serve the more we actually get to live into the goodness that God has for us. Because more people are a part of it. What else? What other things does the church need? This is awesome. Yeah, Parker. Uh, people who are understanding. People who are understanding. Where's that? Uh, the left toe. Left toe. Just that big one right there? Yep. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Maybe I should have been an artist. That's my problem. I'm not smart. I'm an artist. You're Understand. Why do we need people that are understanding? Uh, so, not only in just understanding... Bible to explain people, but just so they can talk to other people who have questions or anything like that. Yeah. Or who are struggling. Yeah. And someone that then can hear questions and respond to it, not in like, you idiot, how do you not know that, right? But someone that's understanding is like, oh yeah, that's a really good question. That's a hard one. For me, that makes me want to ask questions more. Someone that's like, no, you idiot, but I don't want to ask any more questions. Yeah, Caitlin, another one. Kindness. Kindness. Where should that be? Left arm. Left arm. Why do we need kindness? So we can continue on to other people that don't think they had kindness before? Yeah, totally. One of the ways that God is described as being kind. That he was kind to us. There's some people who just naturally being kind, it's not that it's hard for them necessarily, but they don't come across as kind, right? They're just more straightforward. And that's a good skill too. But we need someone who's straightforward and someone who's kind to come together because together they can love people more effectively. Yeah, Reagan and then Sophia. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Where should that be? <laughs> this guy? With the really big thumb over here? Hair. Hair. Oh, gosh. Now you're making me really test myself. Ah. <gasps> nice. Kind of a receding hairline, like me. Yeah, so why do we need forgiveness? Yeah, that would suck. If no one ever forgave anybody, that would not be a group that you want to be a part of. You make one mistake and you're done. 
um, a group that Christian and I have been a part of over the years. Uh, we like jump on each other sometimes, like when we mess up a word, or you like, like I'm trying to say bubble and I end up saying like blubble or something. You're like, oh, it's a blubble, huh? Right? And then we'd start, we stopped doing it because we were like, that's so not okay to just be so quick to point out each other's flaws and, and just be quick to jump on each other. But that's how I feel sometimes, right? When we're not forgiven, like I can't make any errors here because then I'm in trouble. Yeah, Sophia, what were you going to say? Say that again? Dedicated. dedicated. Why do we need dedicated? Oh, wait. Where should dedication go? The lungs? I like it. Mm. It'll go right under loving. Ooh, loving dedication. That's pretty good. Okay, so why do we need dedication? Yeah, totally. Relationships, like, it's one thing to have a friend who's just a friend at camp for a week, right? That's a good friend to have. But then if you never see that person again and they're gone, it's different to have someone who's committed to walking with you day in, day out, week in, week out. Yeah, Caitlin. Voice. What was it? Voice. Voice? What do you mean by that? Oh, that's good. Where should that go? Left leg. Left leg. Yeah, I like that a lot too. And I think with that person that you're talking about, there's somebody that, that sees people that need to be heard. So that's somebody that's empathetic too. That they see that this person, it's hard for them to, to speak up for other people. So I need to do that too. Yeah, Jack. Uh, hope. Hope. Where should hope be? Uh, the stomach. Like good guy. And why do we need hope? Uh, we need to... Hope Richter? Or a different hope? Hope Taylor? Uh, no? Hope, hope, hope. Hope, 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 okay. Hope, hope, hope. That's the whole name. Uh, we need hope to, like, hope that, like, not an um, empty hope. Like, yeah. Uh, I forget exactly how you described it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, but it's like a foundation, right? Yeah. It's like what we're standing on. This is this is true. It's not like true hope. Yeah, hope. yeah, totally. Because without hope, right? That then we're just anybody can. We don't have anything. <laughs> without hope in Jesus, like Paul actually says in the Bible, he was like, if we if Christ didn't raise from the dead, Christians should be pitied over everyone else because they have no hope. Yeah, Nate. Um, Mill scores for each finger. Ooh, check that out. I'll just write MS everywhere. Why do we need middle schoolers? Yeah, middle schoolers boost the vibe. That is for sure. Games are a lot more fun when there's people who are energized and ready to go. Sometimes... Middle schoolers, I'm letting you in on something. Sometimes high schoolers, not our high schoolers here, none of them. Ones from way in the past. Sometimes they start to get too cool for games. They get too cool for like silly things. None of these guys. These guys are great. They go hard in games. It's awesome. And the girls. But that sometimes happens. And we need middle schoolers to remind them, hey, even though we want to be adults, we're still kids. And it's good to have fun. And there's adults here who are still having fun like kids too. Middle schoolers are super important. Yeah, Justin? Oh. 
Yeah, and do you remember we talked about, like, Jesus has the brain, too? So, yeah, I think that's good to put him up there, that he's, like, that control center. That's awesome. Yeah, Sarah. High schoolers. High schoolers? What? I don't know. You have to convince me on that one. Where should high schoolers be? All the other fingers. All the other fingers? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I think that high schoolers, if you saw yourselves as people that are a little more experienced, both with life. And then potentially with your relationship with Jesus, but you saw that as a way to be a blessing to middle schoolers, that even as some of them come into youth group, and it's their first couple weeks at youth group, and yet you've been here for years, who do you think has the best opportunity to make them feel the most comfortable? You who've been there and remember what it's like to be at youth group for the first time, or the second time or to feel like you got a question wrong, or to lose in a game. You remember those feelings too, and you can encourage me like, that's okay, that's fine. Like, oh yeah, things probably feel awkward now. It'll feel like family soon. You guys can be such an encouragement to them. Okay, we're gonna do two more, Andrew and then Caitlin to end. Um, I was gonna say resilient people. Ooh, resilient, where should that go? The shoulder. Shoulder, ooh, I like that. Eh, close? R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-T? It has an A. Ah! Oh. No, it doesn't? No, it doesn't? Ooh, phew. <laughs> I did it. Thanks, Clark Community College. Why do we need resilient people? Um, because, like, if they have other things as people, it's kind of like dedication. Yeah. They're able to, like, stay, like, true the whole entire time. Yeah, to withstand things. Like that passage we're talking about, that like even though like we're hard-pressed on every side, we're perplexed, we're beaten down, we're not destroyed. Like There's this resilience to push on. Uh, I always like working out with somebody because like they push me to go further than I would go myself. They're like, get one more. And I'm like, ah! When I work out with Christian's brother, I always, <laughs> I always try to push him too. <laughs> So like he'll be doing like benching or push-ups and like, all right, Dan, seven more. And he, he had already done 20 and he just screams and he's like, ah, right? But it's so fun because it's just pushing him to, to go further and then his reaction is amazing. Anyways, that's kind of besides the point. Caitlin. Faith. faith. Why do we need faith? Wait, where's faith? Faith should go on the uh, left shoulder. Left shoulder. Boom. Faith and resilience. Love it. So why do we need faith? Yeah, did you know that actually one of the gifts that God gives people is faith? Some people have the gift of faith. Do you guys, some of you remember Jeff Taylor that led worship here for a while, played guitar, he's dad of Isaac and uh, Hope. I think Jeff has the gift of faith. Like that guy just sees how God's working and really trusts that like when someone, I, I one time ran into this dude who was sitting on my porch late at night he actually had been drinking a lot, and he was at the wrong house. Um, and then we started a conversation and ended up being friends on Facebook and talking with him. And I told Jeff about it, and Jeff was like, I don't think it's an accident that that guy showed up on your porch instead of someone else's. 
And I wasn't really seeing that. I was like, that was really creepy to have some random guy on my porch drunk. I'm thinking about my wife and like trying to start guard the door, right? But he saw it as an opportunity that God put there. I think, I think that sometimes people who have the gift of faith encourage us to see things the way God sees them instead of just with our own eyes. Guys, this was so fun. This was so good. You did such a good job with this. And we could keep going, right? We need people who can teach. We need people on Sundays who are musically gifted to help us in worship. We need people that are encouragers. We need people who are fun. Youth group would not be great if there was nobody here that was gifted with being fun. We would just be sitting here like, well, this is awesome, right? It would be a bummer. We need people who can cook and love to serve that way, who are hospitable. We need people with all sorts of attributes and traits. And here's the thing, guys. Our youth group would not be the same without, without each one of you. Our church on Sundays... Not just our gatherings on Sundays, but the people that say Harvest Community is my church. That church would not be the same without each one of you. And sometimes that's hard to see. Maybe you can see in this setting how you contribute. But believe me, God has you contributing to what we do on Sundays as well. That your faith in God can impact people. Impact people that are five times older than you. Impact people that have been walking with Jesus for 30 years, twice your lifespan, three times for some of your lifespans. God, if you're God's workmanship, God can use you however he chooses to use you to impact his whole body. I heard someone uh, say this recently, that you as individuals, right, you each need the church. You need the church. You need each other. Because you by yourself, there's some things you're really good at, some things God's gifted you with, but you need people surrounding you that have all the gifts that you don't have. But also, the church needs you. And I wonder for some of you if that's something that you really have to hold on to. That, that, that you have to ask God to change in your thinking. That the church actually needs you. And maybe for some of you, it's, it's that, that you need the church, that you actually need to admit you need some help, that you can't be perfect, that you can't do this thing on your own, that you need God to put other people in your life to help you. But you need the church, and the church needs you. Every part matters. And every part brings something to the table that the others don't. So we're going to go to our discussion groups now for a little bit. Let me check time. Oh, time. Ouch. Oh, yeah, we got time. All right, we'll go for like 25, 30 minutes in our discussion groups, talk about some questions. But one of the big things I want you to think through, and it's one of the questions on there, are what are ways that God has created you as an individual to contribute to his church? And you could think about Wednesdays. Maybe that's a good circle. Or maybe think about, in your, here's what you'll do. Think about just in your little group right there. What are ways you can contribute to each other? Then expand the circle. What about Wednesday nights with those people? What about Sundays, right? Get the circle bigger and bigger each time. Talk about that, and there's some other questions there too. Let me pray, and then you guys can go to your groups. Lord, I just thank you how you brought this lesson together. God, even as just 
standing up here getting to lead it, I'm so encouraged, Lord, by what you're doing in our students' hearts and in their minds, God. Um, Lord, I thank you that it's only because of you that we really matter to each other, that you have created it to be that way. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that we would consider each other more important than ourselves because we would see all the things that, that we can contribute to one another. Would you help us grow in this this next year? God, would we just feel more and more like a body of people sharing and contributing to each other's faith? Thank you for our time this morning, Lord. Would we remember this week? Thank you for the weather. Thank you that we have this property, God, to be able to do these things. It's such a gift and such a blessing from you. Thank you that even if we didn't have any of this and yet we met together, Lord, we would still be your people. We would be your church. In your name, amen.